Hello and welcome to the Five Alive podcast, here as listeners to join in on our today's discussion. And today we're going to be discussing self-control. This is a very difficult topic to talk about, but yet at the same time, it is one of the fruits of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that here in a second. So you didn't believe in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Then, because you were convinced that he is the one way, the truth, and the life, whether it was by reading the Bible, a testimony of somebody, a correlation of events that happened in your life, you came to a position where you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your Master, your King, your only God that you will worship. And trusting him is saying that he is my everything. He is the victor over my sin. He is the victor over darkness. He is even Jesus by his death on the cross is victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus tells us that he gifted us a helper, somebody to come alongside with us, a counselor, so you don't always have to go out and pay somebody to listen to you. We have a gift of a counselor. We have the gift of a teacher and the gift of a guide as we are navigating through this life that we lead. And that person is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is God. So we have a triune God as a Christian that we worship. Not three different gods, but one God who is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit mentioned as our helper, counselor, teacher, and guide is found in the book of John chapter 7, verse 39. And a person who receives the Holy Spirit in accordance with John chapter 20, verse 22, and you can look these passages of scriptures up, walks with the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit will produce fruit within us as human beings on this fallen earth. And so we're going to read what those Fruits of the Spirit are, they're found in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. Xavier has that reading for us today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And another uh, translation says, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, none of the nine fruits mentioned in this scripture are qualities that we easily acquire. And they're not always qualities that we easily understand. For instance, love. How often is love misunderstood? Often. Sometimes love is mixed up with lust. Sometimes love is mixed up with like. Sometimes love is mixed up with our feelings. Sometimes love is mixed up with truth. And so it's not easily acquired to love or to love one another or to even sometimes love a significant other or a family member. These are not easy qualities to acquire. And just like a tree that is in the orchard, these fruits don't just magically appear as if they just happen all by themselves. No, instead, in an orchard, there has to be cultivation of fertile soil. There has to be some tending to the soil. Then there is going to be a seed that will be planted in the soil. That seed will then grow into a tree. And even sometimes it takes several years before 
really good fruit comes from the tree. And that doesn't just happen because the farmer leaves the tree alone. No, the farmer has to come and prune and has to take off the dead parts that end up coming off of the tree. And in a similar manner, that's what we are granting the Holy Spirit access into our inmost self and allowing him to do is we are allowing him to cultivate the soil of ourselves. We are allowing him to water us in a way that will allow us to grow big and strong. And yet there's still going to be parts of us that are going to need to be pruned, cut away, or there's even parts of us because life isn't easy, right? Life is very difficult. And so sometimes there's parts of us that die and the Holy Spirit has to come and remove those things before a a root of bitterness takes place and destroys us like a wicked or, or a destroyed portion of a of a tree in an orchard can come and it can infiltrate with disease into the rest of the tree and so that's what the holy spirit does for us i believe one of the most difficult fruits of the holy spirit to cultivate is self control what do you guys think self control is saying no <laughs> not always but i think self control is the ability to control oneself Self-control is saying no and also just controlling yourself in general, just so that way you won't do anything wrong. Okay, that's what it is. Self-control is denying your humanistic desires and your human desires, and that way you can become closer with God. So it's denying oneself in order to grow closer to God. Great answers. Self-control, the way I look at it, is it is a moderation of all our actions. So we can see, according to the Bible, there are things that are acceptable unto the Lord. There are things that are not acceptable unto the Lord. And those non-acceptable things unto the Lord, which we will discuss a few of them here uh, later on in the podcast, uh, but what they are, are they are things that lead toward sin. And sin has been left in this world for a specific reason. And I I really like the way um, Thomas Merton says this in his book, No Man is an Island. It's in chapter 11. And he says, God has left sin in the world in order that there may be forgiveness. Not only the secret forgiveness by which he himself cleanses our souls, but the manifest forgiveness by which we have mercy on one another and so give expression into the fact that he, Jesus, is living and by his mercy is alive in our own hearts. And I really like that description because it talks about sin being something that doesn't just affect us personally, but affects everybody that is involved in our lives and everybody in the world. And the same thing comes with self-control. There is a moderation that's got to take place inside of us as we're cultivating this fruit of the spirit called self-control. And it doesn't just affect us as human beings. My self-control or my lack of self-control affects my spouse. It affects my children. It affects my work. It affects my business partners. It affects my friends. If I lack self-control in an area of my life that leads to overextending myself in a specific area, then it affects everybody around me. And so that's why I want to talk about self-control today. And we do have a historical biblical context for somebody who is struggling with self-control, and that is King Felix, 
mentioned in Acts chapter 24, verse 25. And as we look at this just one passage of scripture, I want us to look at the fact that what we have here exemplified for us is a king who is struggling with the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the Bible, of which he lacks self-control playing an active role in his life. And we often witness people who teach a quasi-message of self-control that they themselves cannot abide by. And so this is what it says in Acts 24, verse 25. Felix says to Paul, go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And what he's saying is, is he's been given a testimony, he's been given the truth, he has been expressed exactly what's going on, and he's having a chance to reflect on that, and whether his self-control will allow him to seek out the truth, or if he's going to continue to head down the road of self, of vying for power, and trying to take things into his own hands, and lacking self-control or not is displayed on a balance scale for us in this passage of scripture. And like I was just saying a second ago, we have this message where people will talk about self-control and they'll give us tips of how we can be more self-controlled. And yet when we look at their personal lives, we see a life that is out of balance with self-control. And when we look at that, it can sometimes anger us to say, how in the world could I listen to somebody who's telling me about self-control when they lack so much self-control themselves? And how can their tips really work in my life if they can't even apply them to their own lives? And when we see this back and forth, tug of war thing going on, then our focus is off of exactly who our focus needs to be on, and that is Jesus Christ, because he is the active example in our lives of what true self-control is. And he, as I said earlier, granted us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our counselor and our guide to help us as we walk through this world to know perfectly how to handle things with self-control. As a result of Christ abiding in us and communing with the Holy Spirit in us, we now have the ability to display self-control unto the world. And so let's look more in depth at what self-control is. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, 1 through 3, we have a passage of scripture. Blair will be reading that for us today. And there are three questions that I want us to Reflect on and then answer after we get done with this reading. What part of you must be given to God besides your heart? What are you not to copy? And then this is a self-reflection question. List down personal areas in your life that require self-control. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what part of me must be given to God besides my heart? according to this passage of scripture. Our mind. Our bodies as a living sacrifice. Our soul. Absolutely. So our mind, our body, 
and our soul are to be offered unto God as living sacrifices. When we use the word sacrifice, usually we think of something that is what? Killed. Killed. Something that is burned, something that is extinguished. Life is extinguished out of it, right? If we have a wheat sacrifice, it's been cut, so it's no longer living. It's then burned. And so therefore, it it is no longer something that we can have, but it has been fully given over to God. When we say, I am a living sacrifice, I am now dead to what? Myself. Sin. Yeah. Sin and myself, both. And so with these things being known... It gives us a freedom to be more alive as that living sacrifice. And when Xavier said that the other thing other than our heart we give to God is our mind, that is the part of, personally for me, that is the part that I struggle with in this realm of, I look at what other people are doing and I think, oh, maybe they're having more fun by doing that, and yet I look at what they're doing and I see how it compromises my faith in Christ. And so therefore, I have to make a decision. Am I going to be soberly minded and follow after Christ, or am I going to turn to the left, if you will, and do what is not acceptable to God's pleasing and perfect will? These are ways that we can help ourselves with self-control as renewing our mind as a living sacrifice, renewing our soul, renewing our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord so that that way we no longer have a doubt that what we're doing is we're falling in step with the Holy Spirit and we're coming to him and we're saying, oh, Holy Spirit, will you continue to be my counselor? Will you be my guide? Will you be my teacher in a way that helps me to think soberly minded in my daily activities, my daily work, my family time, and my life. And secondly, what are we not to act upon according to verse 3 of Romans chapter 12? We're not to think or act upon being more highly than others. Think of ourselves as higher than other people, but instead be sober in judgment or be um, aware of what you're doing in your judgment towards others, of not thinking you're higher than them because you're better dressed or in a higher status or anything like that, but instead uh, treat everybody how God treats us, which is with love. Okay. List personal areas in your life that you know require self-control. This is a reflective question for us uh, to write down. What are areas right now that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you require more self-control? Next, we have a passage of scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. Questions that are going to go along with this passage of scripture are, where are you to glorify God and or honor God? What has your body become? And then self-control as a follower of Christ means fleeing from what? But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So where are you to glorify and or honor God? In our bodies. In your bodies. 
So just as we had heavenly bodies are stars, Xavier. <laughs> so just as we had earlier talked about in Romans chapter twelve that our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, this is a follow up of that in First Corinthians chapter six, and we honor and glorify God with our body and. Specifically, the Apostle Paul is calling out people who are in what kind of immorality here? Sexual. Sexual immorality. Now, is there any specific sexual immorality he's talking about here? No. What is sexual morality then? Abstinence. Mm -hmm. For the single person, what is it for the married person? Um, Being true to your mate. Yeah. So having sex with your spouse and your spouse only is sexual morality. If you are single or if you are young, sexual morality is abstinence. We're not going to go down the road of all of the things that this entails other than what morality within sex is because God created sex and sex is good and there are specific areas in which our life that they are good in and that area is in the marriage bed, period. That's the end. And so if there's a question about some specific way or thing or animal or other person that you're attracted to sexually and you are involved in immorality, then that experience is not just something that is condemning you, but it's also condemning the person that you are having sex with, your future spouse that you will have sex with. And it's not just a sin against your own body, but it is a sin against the Holy Spirit who is in you. Now, often this passage of scripture, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit is used for other reasons. But here we can see scripturally, it's specifically talking about sexual morality is the importance of our body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is something that's come to light a lot in today's day and age. Uh, The 1960s helped bring it into play and even to the point where social media and modern day living with whomever you want to or whatever the news media portrays or whatever so many other outlets portray as whatever feels good, do it, is counterintuitive to the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. And so the second question is, what has your body become when you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And then lastly, self-control as a follower of Christ means to flee from what? Sexual immorality. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I'm using a different scripture verse. That's a different scripture verse, yes. Ah, but it applies. Okay. Next, we have a passage of scripture found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 through 26. Just a simple question to ask ourselves, what are we to pursue? What are you to pursue? So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil 
after being captured by him to do his will. So we see what is to be pursued in this passage of scripture. What, what is that? To pursue being like Christ. You know, not being ignorant in our conversations and trying to stir up a quarrel. Not to like, what is it called? Fishing? Like fishing for something? Yeah. Like if you're like fishing for an answer, don't like hem-haw around. Hmm. Ask. Just point blank ask. And know the context of that of that conversation, whether it's a face-to-face conversation, because there's things that are better said in person than over a DM or over an email or over an SMS or a text message. Yeah, and, and I think even you're going towards the realm of asking for clarity. Mm-hmm. Ask for clarity amongst those that are around us. Even if it is, as a parent, we look at our children, sometimes some parents I've even seen look down upon their children as if they can't answer a question. And yet sometimes if we would ask our children, if they're five years old for clarification into what is going on and ignore the frustrating because, or I wanted to, but just listen to our children and see what they have to say, asking for clarity, we will parent better. If we do the same thing with our spouse, instead of always looking at somebody as an enemy, we will ask for clarification and not always trying to stir up a quarrel, then we are pursuing ultimately righteousness in that area. What else? You guys are younger and there's something different that stood out to you, I'm sure, uh, than, than this. What is it? What are we to pursue according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26? Being just patient with people that's a it's a tough one for some than others because it's easy i mean you have brought up with children i don't know it's easy to lose your cool mm-hmm. very easy, true easy to lose your patience yeah absolutely so being patient with others when it just even comes to simple instructions maybe someone doesn't know how to fill up an ice tray with water from the tap <laughs> and instead of saying you're so stupid. Don't you know how to turn on the water and fill this up? That would be the wrong response. And personally, yeah, I've said that. I've said that to my own kid and haven't ever lived that one down. But be reminded of scriptures that we're not going to be perfect at all times, but to learn from our mistakes, to learn from our ignorance, from our youth. And as we're still maturing, to try to be different. I also think we're to pursue what has already been stated at the beginning of this podcast in Galatians, what are the fruit of the Spirit. Mm. And uh, to pursue those is one thing we also need to pursue in our pursuit of God. I was looking at the point of contention or the fighting that we see so often is because we want our way. And we're so desirous of getting things accomplished our way in our time and on the day we want it done that anybody that slows that down interrupts that process and i mean anyone it doesn't matter even if it's god himself shows up at our front door and knocks on it if we have a deadline that day many of us would ignore him so that way we could accomplish the deadline I would probably answer the door because it would be like, okay, I need to take a break. And I'm like, I'll just see who's at the door anyways. Yeah. And so the way we conduct ourselves 
in that manner we think is being self-controlled because I'm getting the job done, getting my deadline met. And yet at times that deadline can be pushed back so that that way we can hear from God, so that we can take a question from our child, so that, that way we can have a conversation with our spouse, so we can go to the hospital because a friend got injured or got sick. And instead of being so self-consumed, if our self-control would actually reflect that of which Christ was. I remember there was one time Christ is walking, somebody had come up to him and said, my child is sick and I need you to come and heal my child. And Jesus started his way to go. And there was a woman with an issue of blood. She reached out and touched the hem of Jesus's garment and she was instantaneously healed. And instead of just that instantaneously healing being done and going on privately, Jesus and her only knowing it, Jesus stopped in the middle of going towards a deadline. He stopped and he asked, who touched the hem of my garment? And knowing that man whose son was dying was freaking out like, what are you doing? It doesn't matter who touched the hem of your garment. What does this matter? It doesn't matter at all. My son is the one who's sick. And yet Jesus had plenty of time to take care of both that woman and that man's son because he's God and because he can take thing, care of things greater than we are ourselves. And so if I will pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and pursue the Lord with a pure heart, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. That self-consumption can be put to the side, and I can seek after Christ more wholeheartedly, and my self-control can take exactly that, control. We have another passage of Scripture found in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 32. In this passage of Scripture, it brings to light what aspect or aspects of self-control. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. So what aspects of self-control are brought to light in this passage of scripture? Being slow to anger. Have you ever met somebody that's really quick-tempered? Yes. yes. Do they usually make proper decisions immediately? No. Mm -hmm. Do they usually regret things? Yeah. Because of jumping to conclusions? Sometimes. Sometimes, not always, because they may think they're right all the time. That's true. true. They may. But if they think they're right all the time, are they exhibiting self-control? No. So being slow to anger, not being quick-tempered, not being quick to come to a conclusion, to not be quick to judge somebody because of the way we saw them. I remember when I was younger, we, they... There, maybe it was an advertisement, Blair, you might remember better than I do if it was an advertisement or what, but it was like, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I heard that phrase. I've heard of that. Okay, is it an ad or is it just a phrase that people say? It's I've heard it from ad. people okay. say it. Okay, you've heard people say it and you've heard it as an ad. Never get a what? Second, second chance show. to make a first impression. What is that? I'm pretty like positive it was like conduct 101 for an interview. Okay, maybe it was conduct 101 for an interview. I'm just saying I've heard it several different ways, several different manners. What? Isn't it like a, a date commercial or something? It's from yeah. Will Rogers. 
What Will Rogers? Will. Oh, okay. Oh, so Will Rogers Will said it. It's a quote from Will, Will Rogers. Rogers. He was a baseball player. <laughs> so you never get a second chance to make a first impression is the statement that Will Rogers said. That's probably why I was in... Try to save Will Rogers five times fast. <laughs> oh, he was a film actor. I apologize. Will Rogers was a film actor. Try to save Will Rogers five times fast. <laughs> Will Rogers, Will Rogers, Will Rogers, Will Rogers, Will Rogers, Will Rogers. <laughs> so Will Rogers said this. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. It's made its way through advertisements. It's made its way into conversations. People have requoted it. And even Blair just brought up that maybe it's an interview thing, a interview 101 uh, for a job interview. Yeah, according to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32, not just if we're slow to anger, if we're slow to judge somebody because you never get a second chance to make that first impression. What if your first impression of a person is completely wrong because of what was going on in your own life that you automatically dislike somebody because... Well, I don't like that person because, and this was one that happened to me once, I don't like that person because they lost so much weight so fast. Because this person that all of a sudden didn't like me, they saw me one day, I was about 100 kg. Then the next time he saw me, a couple of weeks later, I was like 90 kg. Then he saw me a couple of weeks later and I was like 80 kg. And he kept on hating me and hating me and hating me more and more and more. And finally, he found out that I had cancer in my esophagus and I was losing weight because I was sick and I wasn't just sick on occasion I was sick all day every day and when he found that out he was ashamed of what was going on and he was ashamed of his what he felt like lack of self-control was because he was pledged to be married and he wanted to lose weight for that marriage and he was watching me reduce in my weight, not because I was trying to, but because I was deathly ill. You never get a second chance to make a first impression, but where is your heart whenever you're meeting somebody for the first time? And are you quick to anger and quick to judgment? Because if you are, you could be making a grave and dangerous mistake that you don't even recognize. Last passage of scripture on self-control from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 28. This scripture associates lack of self-control with a broken down city and broken walls. So what boundaries is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about placing in your life to bring about discipline and self-control? He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. What is it the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about your temple that is dedicated unto the Holy Spirit. You've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is an active part of your life, and yet you may have walls that have been broken down. Like in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, where they need to rebuild the walls because it will strengthen the city. What is it in your life that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about to bring about discipline, and self-control in a new way. Is it an anger issue? Is it a sexual immorality issue? Is it an issue of the way you speak? Is your speech harsh and critical? Do you jump to conclusions too quickly? 
on and on and on, we got to ask ourselves these questions and allow ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit so he can bring forth correction so that that way we will be men and women, yet still sons of God who are self-controlled. And let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that we will be able to remain in self-control and that we will be good to other people and won't jump to conclusions. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.